This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. The, the, the winds of change are blowing through Raider Nation, and Silver and Black Today keeps you up to date with the latest news and views about your Las Vegas Raiders. Touchdown, Las Vegas! With insight, opinions, and interviews, we're on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Now, now with the latest on your Raiders and the NFL, your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo. Welcome back. It is time again for Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast covering your Las Vegas Raiders. If you don't already subscribe to the show, please do us a favor. And wherever you get your audio, go ahead, subscribe, put on the auto download so you never miss an episode. We appreciate you being with us here. I am Scott Branson, your host. My co-host is Mr. Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer over at Bleacher Report. Also Raiders columnist which we'll get into today at sportsnot.com. And uh, this is the Thursday edition. Just a real quick rundown of the show today, what we got on tap. We have the Car Wars return. We'll talk about that. Uh, But first, we'll talk about Josh Jacobs again. Yes, all the drama that's fit for the shield is back. So we'll talk about that segment two. We're going to talk about Mo's column up on sports. Not right now about three Raiders veterans who might be on the hot seat. They got something to prove. Uh, and we actually talked about all three of them before on the last show, but I'll let Mo frame that for you. And then in the final segment, we will get to our Raider nation mailbag. Okay, Mo, let's jump into the first subject of today's show, which is Josh Jacobs. We know that um, we saw Tom Pelissero was on the NFL Network, talked about Josh Jacobs and the fact that he could miss the start of training camp if a long-term deal isn't reached. Of course, they have a couple more weeks to do that, so all is not lost. If you're worried about Josh Jacobs, they have until the 15th or 17th, I think it's like that. But um, for those of you watching us on YouTube, I'm just showing a story here from Tyler Sullivan talks about it. But Pelissaro said, hey, the one running back situation that nobody's talking about is Josh Jacobs. At this point, if there's not a long term deal, I don't anticipate Josh Jacobs being there at the start of training camp. And I don't even know if he shows up for week one. So that's Pelissaro, who, of course, is. Uh, NFL Network insider, so he gets some inside skinny from people in the organization and agents and all that jazz. But but Mo, um, we've talked about this. You talked about this. The the realistic possibility that Josh Jacobs is not there for training camp. Uh, I think we're starting to see. We've seen the cryptic tweets. We've heard sort of what he's said uh, that way at least. Uh, this is probably a negotiating tactic, but he's taking the kind of strong arm piece of this thing here, right? So what do you think about what's going to happen here? Well, clearly Tom Pelissero doesn't listen to our show because (laughs) we've been talking about it (laughs) almost at the top of or at at some point in every one of our shows, we've talked about Josh Jacobs and the possibility of him holding out or holding in, as I called it, holding in would be showing up to camp and not participating in team activities 
or drills as some players did last offseason, last few offseasons players have done. And that's to avoid the fines. So just to clarify what holding in is, players reporting to training camp to avoid the fine of not showing up, mm-hmm. but protesting their current contract situation by not participating. I think that's the route that Josh Jacobs takes. Now, I, the holdout thing doesn't surprise me. When he said he may not even show up for week one, this will remind people of the Le'Veon Bell situation with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2018, I believe it was. I don't actually think Josh Jacobs takes that far where he misses an entire season, but I think it's a real possibility that if the, a deal isn't reached by July 17th, that there is going to have a situation where they could have they they could not have Josh Jacobs for the entire summer, but I think he'll he'll eventually come in, or I, I shouldn't say come around, but I eventually I think he'll eventually rejoin the team because. Right now, running backs aren't aren't a tough spot. They're not getting mm-hmm. paid. The highest paid running back this offseason for Frazee was Miles Sanders. He's making under six point five million a year. So yeah. unless unless Dalvin Cook signs a significant deal now, there was a report that came out yesterday that Dalvin Cook has multiple offers on the table and he will sign a significant deal. If Dalvin Cook signs a deal that's more than the franchise tag, that's Josh Jacobs' best hope to get a bigger contract out of the Raiders or to get some leverage. Or if Saquon Barkley signs a contract with the Giants, that's very lucrative because their reports are that the Giants have resumed talks with Saquon Barkley on a new deal. So those are two good pieces of news for Josh Jacobs if he wants a a big contract. It's interesting, though, Mo, because I think if you look at this situation and you look at the fact that, um, to your point, the dominoes have to fall, so to speak, right, for – Josh Jacobs, the dominoes have to fall um, for for him, especially when it comes to these other running backs, because you talked about the market and what's happening there. And so for me, I look at it this way. Again, I think when you're having a fan conversation, fans, you know, pay the guy, pay the guy, he's worth it, he's best running back in the NFL. And we've talked about ad nauseum, so I'm not going to go back over it. If you haven't listened to the show before, I invite you to go back and listen to some of the episodes about Josh Jacobs. But what I've said is it's a business. We've all talked about it being a business. It's, 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 it's relevant to the conversation. So if you look at Josh Jacobs and you think about what, what he's done and what he deserves, quote-unquote deserves, it goes by the running back market. The running back market is not great. So by waiting for those deals to fall, he's got to hope that those deals fall with Barkley and fall with Dalvin Cook to be able to uh, to kind of capitalize and make the market. So so if he if he does wait, as you say, for Cook and Barkley, and those numbers are great, good for Josh Jacobs. But I wonder, Mo, if you think about it, despite those deals, even if those deals happen, do the Raiders pay him? I mean, do the Raiders? Do you think the way this is being handled? You know, last year they talked about how they loved everybody, and then two of those guys, uh, Derek Carr. And Darren Waller are gone. So this 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 regime, you don't necessarily know how much they think of Josh Jacobs. Obviously, he's a player. He's a great player. He, he produced for them last year. But what are the chances that the market is set by one of those guys and the Raiders still don't give him a bigger deal? That's a possibility based on the way Josh McDaniels has handled the running back position with New England. But what I will say is I'll reiterate what I said in a piece a couple of weeks ago that but Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, Josh Jacobs is even more important because yes, there's a possibility yes. that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to miss a few weeks during the season. And you're going to have to really depend on the run game for that offense to to uh, work like a world oil machine. So even with Jimmy Garoppolo on the field, I've, I've said that Jimmy Garoppolo has, has only been successful with a top five, top ten rushing attack. So I think right. Josh Jacobs is 
just as important to the Rays' offense as nearly as important to Rays' offense as Saquon Barkley is to the Giants and as as um, Derrick Henry is to the Titans. Maybe to a lesser extent because you have Devontae Adams there, you have Jacoby Myers there who understands the system. But as far as being a part of that offense and being the engine of that offense for, for multiple weeks of the season, I, I think the Rays will have to lean on him unless they're ready to unleash Samir White, Britton Brown, Brandon Bolden, who's like 33 years old. <laughs> I, I, I see them having to work out maybe a middle ground with, with Josh Jacobs if they want a competitive football team in 2023. Because if they if he's not there, if he's missing from that offense, that rushing attack isn't going to be what it should be, right. which means that they're going to be more defenders playing on their heels and clogging up the passing lanes with Devonta Adams and Jacoby Myers and making it hard for Jimmy Garoppolo in the passing game. So if Josh, if Josh Jacobs isn't on the field week one, as Tom Perelson said, could happen, prepare for a Rocky Raiders offense, uh, season on offense because it's not going to look the same. It's not going to look anything remotely close to last year. And you and I talked about on Tuesday's show the fact that we thought Zamir White was going to get a much more uh, even load this year. He didn't get, you know, most carries he had in the game last year was three. So we know we're going to see more of Zamir White, but there's a big difference in working him more in to produce some balance for Josh Jacobs than there is to say, okay, dude, you're the guy. We got to count on you to carry this team uh, at the running back position when you've only played one year and it was sparingly. I mean, to me, that would be the death nail for this offense. And again, I, I've, I've advocated as you have, and we've talked about on the show many times. I just mentioned it a minute ago. It's a business. You're not going to overpay for the running back. But if those two running backs you mentioned get a $14, $13 million contract, well, then Josh Jacobs, that's what he's worth. That's what you got to pay him. And I don't see the Raiders uh, moving away from that. If they do, boy, it you talk about another optics boo-boo for this, this, for this franchise. If they were to do that, um, I think it would be terrible for Raider Nation. I think Raider Nation already with some drama with the Garoppolo signing and some of the other things that happened uh, definitely would not, not warm to this coach anymore or the GM if Josh Jacobs has just said, hey, sorry, play on the tag. We're not paying you. Here are two scenarios that I think could unfold within the next few weeks. Dalvin Cook signs for a contract that's close to the franchise tag, around $10 million, you know, give or take one or two million under or over that amount, $10.1 million. And Saquon Barkley signs, re-signs with the Giants for about $14 million when it's all said and done because that's the number that's being thrown out. The Giants are trying to that the Giants are, are have an offer on the table that's around 14 million with incentives. So let's say that happens, and the Raiders say, okay, Dalvin Cook is it around is it around 10, is it around 10? Saquon Barkley is around 14. Josh Jacobs will offer you 13, 14 million, and we'll see what he says. And then I think it's more likely that a deal comes to place between the Raiders and Josh Jacobs if that's the scenario that plays out. Saquon yeah. Barkley at about 14 and Dalvin Cook at about 10. Now, if if Dalvin Cook is well below ten, and Saquon Barkley doesn't sign, well, or signs a deal that's less than fourteen million, let's say he he signs for a deal that's twelve million, let's say mm-hmm. that with incentives, then I think Josh Jacobs is winds up reporting to camp and playing on the franchise tag. It says, look, he probably says, look, I'm not, I want 13, 14 million. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to have another big year and I'm going to test for agency in twenty twenty four and get that big paycheck. We'll see what happens. That's a gamble because the running back position. We may it may not turn back where they're they're making a lot of money again. It may be right. the same issue, the same issue they face this year may be the same issue they face next offseason. Right. So I, I but I do think it does matter what happens with Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley. The difference is right now that 
There's good news for Dalvin Cook, being that the reports are that he could sign a significant contract. There's good news for Saquon Barkley. There's reports that the Giants and Saquon Barkley are at least talking, communicating talking, yeah. about a new deal right. negotiations. And with Josh Jacobs, you're not hearing anything but cryptic tweets from him. So <laughs> that's that's not a good sign for the Raiders and Josh Jacobs and their negotiations. But there's still you know about three weeks left for them to come to a deal. But I will say yeah. it does matter. A lot of people want to say, well, Josh Jacobs is a rushing champion. Why should it matter what the other two guys do? You have yeah. to understand with the running back market team, as you said, the teams are going to follow the market. So top tier, if other top tier running backs are getting paid, it gives Josh Jacobs some leverage to say, hey, other top tier guys are getting paid. You got to pay me more because I am the rushing champion. Now, if top tier guys aren't getting paid 10, 10 plus million or or 14 plus million, then the Reds could say, look, Dalvin Cook is a four-time Pro Bowler. You know, Saquon Barkley was, was the best player, clearly the best player on the Giants offense, and they're not getting 14 million. Josh, right. you could say Josh Jacobs is the most important player of the offense, but they also have Devontae Adams, the Raiders do. They signed Kobe Myers. They still have Hunter Renfro for now. They drafted Michael Mayer. They have other offensive weapons. Correct. So if a team that is heavily reliant on Saquon Barkley is not willing to give him $14 million, then the Raiders are probably not going to give Josh Jacobs $14 million. Good point. And I think that you look at this situation, and clearly this is the time of the year, and Pelissaro, great, great reporter, great insider, uh, but this is the time of the year where agents play a lot of games, right? And so to me, this is an agent play story because the agent's basically saying to the Raiders, and he may have said this to the Raiders directly too, which is like, hey, we don't get a deal. We're not coming in, right? That's just the way it's going to be. Uh-huh. And But the Raiders don't have to move. See, that's the point to your – and I think, I think Saquon Barkley and the Giants, an interesting situation. The Cook signing to me is the number one because he's a free agent, Right. So he's a free agent. These other two guys, the, the teams have the upper hand. Now, Barkley has a little bit more of a, I think, a, obviously a, a longer bit of a resume and some accomplishments, what he's done in New York, not to take anything away from Josh Jacobs in the special year he had last year. But to me, the Raiders are going to sit back. They're going to sit and wait for them. They're not going to set the market. They're going to wait for one of those teams mm-hmm. to move. Uh, or in this case, it could be four or five teams because we don't know who Cook is being uh, courted by. So, so that's why the Raiders, you know, when, when fans say, pay the guy now, it's like, you can't. You, it would be stupid to do that because you might give Josh Jacobs a good deal. You might give him a $12.5 million deal, right, if that's where the market's mm-hmm. set. And that's great. Everybody feels good about it, walks away. But if you go give him a $14 million deal and Dalvin Cook signs for nine, <laughs> right. That's that's a fireable offense in my view. Mm-hmm. So so I think everybody's going to be and I agree with you. I think it could get a little protracted into camp um if, if he doesn't sign and then you have to start to think about it but you're right. You know, he's not going to sign a long-term deal for 12 million dollars if somebody else is making 13 uh or if the the market's lower because why give up the money? Why sign a long-term contract for 2 million dollars more than you're going to earn this year when you might be able to score on it next year depending what happens. So it'll be interesting. All right. Second news item of three here in this opening segment is is one that Uh-oh. everybody loves to talk about. And we, Mo, you said it, and I keep saying this, this was a most redomous moment, that when the Derek Carr situation ended for the Raiders, that it would not go away. It's like a bad rash. It just, it does, you, <laughs> you know, you put that, you put that steroid cream on, it doesn't go away. It just keeps coming back. So Derek Carr uh, at a charity event for the Valley Hospitals, which he does an amazing work for in Fresno, California, his hometown. So kudos to Derek Carr for all he does there for kids in the Valley, um, is at a charity event. 
Anthony Galvaz of, of the, the Fresno Bee who covers the Raiders and is in Las Vegas all the time uh, is there. And of course, the conversation of how the time ends up in Vegas comes up. And I want to pick this apart a little bit. We'll get to his wife crying in a second. But I'm, I'm interested in this because everybody, if you've ever had a job and been laid off, fired, or, or you left because things weren't going well, um, everybody's got feelings and kind of emotions around their former employer, especially if there was any contention there. So you understand that. But I want to read some of this, Mo, and get your reaction. Uh, and they asked him about you know the fact that he got benched and he couldn't play his final two games. Uh, and he said he was very upset. I was mad. Then he said, you spend nine years in a place, you have all the records, and you can play at a high level, and for something to get in the way, whether it was whatever reason, money-related or whatever, injury-related, I would have said, I don't even want the money. I just want to play two more times in front of our fans. I didn't get that opportunity, so it definitely lit a fire inside me to keep going. This is interesting because I look at this, and this is this is you know this is uh, I think textbook Derek Carr. I don't. There's nothing that he's saying here that is really new, but it does offer some insight. And some of you will like this take, and some of you will not. But he talks about spending nine years in a place. Absolutely loyal guy was Raiders to the bone. You have all the records and play at a high level. Now records are individual records, is what he's speaking about, right? I mean that. They didn't win playoff games. They didn't win many seasons. They didn't have winning seasons. So he's talking about that. And then he kind of tries to talk about why it went south. And then he wanted to play two times in front of the fans. And, of course, we heard Mo from a lot of fans who said the same thing. Let him play it out. Let him play it out. But the NFL is a meritocracy. You don't get to just play in front of the fans because you want to. It, the, the Raiders made a move. And we, can, we can argue that all day long. And he said he didn't get that opportunity. So it lit a fire. He got mad about it. But, but I, what I don't ever see is the correlation he made in his last statement a couple weeks ago where he said he didn't give the Raiders his best. So I find it curious that he admits, and I gave him credit for that, right? He admitted he didn't play his best. But then he's saying he's mad that he didn't get to play the final two games. I, I have trouble connecting those two, Mo. What do you think? I think this is a matter of the human side Mm -hmm. of the situation mixing with reality and not, as you would say, correlating. So mm -hmm. the human side of Derek Carr is upset because, as he said, nine years at the same place, has franchise records, uh, was well-respected in the locker room. Let's be honest, he was respected in that locker room, being the being the longest-tenured Raider there, uh, along with, I believe, Sieg, who was replaced also this offseason. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he was respecting locker room, had the records, had the respect of the, of the loyalty, of, you know, of the eye of the fans and everything. So I understand the feelings of it. He's sure. mad. I mean, anyone would be mad if they spent nine years at a place and all of a sudden a new boss comes in and mm -hmm. kind of boots you out at the mm -hmm. end of your tenure when you know you're probably on the way out anyway. But as you said, it's a meritocracy and it's also a business. So I think it was Matt Fallon made this point on Twitter. The Raiders weren't going to risk putting Derek Carr out there for the last tweets and him getting hurt and then being on the hook for the rest of his contract. Right. That's the point about this whole thing. You could be mad that the Raiders didn't allow Derek Carr to play out those two weeks. That, I understand. That's the human part of it. But understand that this is the business. The Raiders weren't going to put themselves in a position where they were going to have to pay Derek Carr no matter what if he got hurt. So from a Raiders perspective, you can be mad about what the Raiders did, but from a race perspective, I understand why they did it. It was a business move. 
They right. knew they were moving on, and they didn't want to put themselves at financial risk of having to pay him regardless. So that's what they did. So Derek Carr's feelings got hurt. The Raiders made a business decision. That's what happened here. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing, too, I want to make a point. I want to give Derek Carr credit, too, because he, he he's such a contradiction at times. He will say things like that that are very emotional based. And to your point, we're all human beings, so we have feelings that happens. You know, people get so caught in feelings today, they tend to be the priority number one, even in a business, which isn't always appropriate in my view. But nonetheless, he said also, if you win more games and you keep being productive, you stay there forever. So there's Derek Carr recognizing. He says, but we didn't win enough games and that stuff kind of happens. Eventually, the last guy in the room is usually going to be out at some point, And that's really what happened. And and you know what? That's a great take. So you see he does understand it. And, and clearly okay. he's going to move on and do well in the worst division of football this year and do good. But, uh, you know, then he jokes, survived 20 coaches. Um, and he, he did criticize uh, in a nice way um, that, that by saying that he's now somewhere where there's a stable organization. And he's right about that. I mean, you can't argue with Derek Carr. He's got plenty of responsibility for Raiders' performance on the field. But the Raiders have been, and fans all know this, Raider Nation tells me it every day on Twitter, it's been a disaster in so many ways. And, and, and that has been the inconsistency in the front office and whatnot. Lastly on this was this part that really caught me and I think really is back to your point about feelings. And we've talked a lot about the complex emotions that Derek Carr shows and and how that uh, that a lot of people recognized from the podium over and over again that he's a really sensitive guy and it's a hard business to be sensitive in. But he he was asked from Anthony, what if the Raiders had changed their heart after after the last two games and actually wanted to keep them and then. Uh, brought him back. And he said he would not have done it. And the reason, quote, was once they made my wife cry, that was pretty much over. Once they made her cry, that was out. So it's interesting because, yeah, you know, I listen, I've been married 27 years. You, you mess with my wife, you're going to see the worst of me, right? But in this case, um, it, it, it just perplexed me. And I know a lot of fans out there have been kind of arguing about this online the last few days and saying, well, you know, of course she's got to move. She's got to move. And then there's other people saying she wasn't crying when she got the paychecks. Right. So, so I think those are two oversimplifications on both sides of the equation there, <laughs> but, but it, it goes back to your point is it's a tough business Mo and, and families are involved here. Players, you know, the players that are married or players who have girlfriends or who have kids, it means you're changing zip codes, you're changing schools, you're changing lifestyle. You might have lifelong friends that are near you that suddenly now you're across, at least for half the year, you're across country. And so, you know, I, I, I the, 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 it made my wife cry thing. I don't know that I would have said that even if it was true, but this is Derek Carr being who he is, isn't it? It, it is. That's who he is. And that's, I feel like, okay, I'm not saying that he's fabricating the story. She probably did have hard feelings because, <laughs> you know, they were part of that org. They were part of the race sure. organization for so long. So she grew I up in it too. Yeah. She, she also was along with him for the ride. So I get her emotions being attached to this. But what I will say is that I, I think he was over it once they decided they were ready to move on. Once they benched him, yeah. he probably felt the emotion of, Wow, I feel betrayed by an organization I gave my blood, sweat, and tears to. And I remember 
um, people questioning, you know, is he going to play a game, including myself? Because remember, he said that if he's not a Raider, he's going to go play golf and retire. Remember that? He did. Oh, many remember? times he said that. Yes. He said, if yes. I'm not playing for the Raiders, I'm going to retire. I'm going to play golf. And I said, and I wrote actually wrote a piece on sports night. Is, is Carr now going to go play golf? Now that the Raiders <laughs> are clearly going to move on. Yeah. And and I think it was Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated said, no, he's intent on playing. And it came out that he's got a fire lit under him because of the way it ended. So, I, right. of course, I think his wife's emotions played into it. But I think most of it was you were dumped by this organization you gave so much to. And now you want to prove that you are better than what you played or what you've shown over the past nine years with the more stable organization. So I think that's the main factor that's going to be driving him in New Orleans with the Saints. Not his wife, though. I think his wife emotions did play into it. But I will say that was a juicy quote to put in there to say, hey, you mess with my wife. You make my wife cry. <laughs> I'm not coming back regardless yes. of what you got to say. But we all know that as a competitor, as a as a player in the NFL, you are driven by people doubting you, putting you down or mm -hmm. dumping you because we hear it so many times. A player gets released, a player gets traded, a player gets moved, and their motivation is, I'm going to prove the previous team that let me go wrong. And I think that's the driving factor. here. Absolutely. And, and, and that's it. I mean, look, I know a lot of fans are sick of talking about Derek Carr, but he keeps talking about the Raiders. So we're going to talk about it if he talks about the Raiders. Uh, but, but certainly again, just, it was very, it was not at all surprising. It was very Derek Carr ish. I mean, everything he said and how he said it seemed to fit in line with what we've gotten to know uh, over, over the years as a Raider. I, I want to say one thing because I know she watches our show or listens to it just when Wendy. I, I know she's been on social uh, Twitter uh, in a way defending Derek Carr and saying that, you know, he was asked a question by a reporter. So he's answering the question. So I, I get that part of it as a person in the media, as, a, as people in the media, we both understand. We ask mm -hmm. questions and players are going to answer. Sometimes they give a cliche answer. Sometimes they give candid answers. So I understand that part of it. This wasn't I just want to make it clear. This wasn't Derek Carr calling a press conference to talk about the Raiders. I <laughs> know. I just want to make that clear. Also, right. He didn't, he didn't call Anthony Galvez to say, I, I want to talk about the breakup between me and the Raiders. He was asked this question because you know, anyone who interviews Derek Carr is going to want to ask about how it ended in his, and his feelings on it. Because if you remember his brother, David said that he was going to have basically a tell all about what yeah. happened. And, and we didn't really get the full scope of how it ended and how Derek Carr felt for a while. Derek Carr kind of went dark when he didn't say much. Right. So I think right now when reporters ask him about how it ended, we're getting bits and pieces of his feelings and how it felt. So I just want to make that clarification that we're not bagging on Derek Carr and saying he's gone out here like a scorn X and, and talking about the Raiders unprompted. Uh, these are questions that he's answering. Now, he could say right. no comment or I've moved on. I don't want to talk about it. He could right. do that, too. But and, he's and, choosing to to share his, his mindset he, on, the, on the issue. And, and anybody, and again, we, we live in a, a time where people see things in social media and they don't even read what they're commenting on. Right. And if you read, and I started off this segment, or excuse me, this part of the segment talking about this, talking about how he, the, 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 the room in which he spoke, he was at a charity event and he was talking mm -hmm. about it. So to your point, he right. did not bring it up. It was asked to him by people who donate to the charity. It was, a, it was like right. a roundtable type thing, right? A, a town hall, whatever right. you want to call it. So mm -hmm. so that's a good point to bring up there. All right, we're going to step aside. Nice long first segment there. Wow. Had so much to talk about with Jacobs and Carr. Interesting stuff. We, we had a, a grown-up conversation about Carr. See, we didn't, we didn't See, drag Carr. No. We, I think this is a very fair 
grown up yes. conversation about. And and for those of you who want to unsubscribe because we talked about them, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but uh, <laughs> we certainly appreciate your past support and hope you come back. Uh, but anyway, when we come back, Mo, we're going to get into your column on Sports Not Las Vegas Raiders, three veterans who face the most pressure ahead of 2023 training camp. And then we'll start the segment, actually, our correspondent, our former producer, now our man on Johnny on the Spot around Las Vegas is David Sepani. And he went out and spoke with Max Crosby on Tuesday at a Fanatics Merch Madness event, which I'll tell you a little about when we come back. So we're going to hear that when we come back, and then we'll get into Moe's column. You're listening to Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Don't go anywhere or we'll find you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We roll on here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast covering the Las Vegas Raiders. Make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't done it anywhere you get your audio. For those folks watching on YouTube, thanks. And also subscribe and hit the notifications bell. Okay, Mo, uh, this past, uh, this past, earlier this week on Tuesday, um, the Raiders and Fanatics, you know, Fanatics, the, the website where you can get all your merchandise and all that stuff, they held a great event. And what out in Las Vegas, um, and our David Stepani went out. We're going to hear that report in a second. But to me, it was a really cool event. You know, they, there's all these things. When you're in the NFL media, you get help for all these events, especially there in Las Vegas. And um, one of the things that I remember as a kid, and I think we talked about this many, many moons ago on the show, was as a kid, you know, to get your team's jersey, right? To be able to wear, like you grew up in New York as a Raiders fan, I grew up as a Charger fan, uh, and so when you were a little kid, you wanted that jersey of your favorite player. When we were younger, it was still hard to get. It was expensive for your families, but at the same time, today it's even worse, right? You're talking about even replica jerseys run over $100 for kids. And so uh, the Raiders and um, I think the, 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 the David will have it in his report, but I think it was five NFL teams joined with Fanatics. They brought kids out to the Raiders facility in Henderson uh, to to have an event, to a football kind of camp event with Max Crosby, but also they got to walk away with some Raiders merchandise. So let's listen to David's report uh, on merch, merch madness, a lot of M's there, along with uh, the conversation and the questions David had and asked Max Crosby. So here's David Stepanian out at March, March. Okay, help me out here, Mo. I can't talk today. No, he's not going to early morning. <laughs> Merch madness <laughs> out at Raiders facility. Here's David Stepanian. It may be June, but the Raiders partnered with Fanatics to hold their first ever March Madness event. With Fanatics donating Raiders gear such as jerseys, shirts, hats, shoes, you name it, to thousands of Las Vegas youth from various organizations. Kids gathered at the Raiders practice facility in Henderson and ran some light drills and had a chance to toss the pigskin with none other than Max Crosby. 
At the end of the day, you know, this is my home. Uh, I've been here three years now, and it's the least I could do. You know, I have so much, so much love for the city, and the city has so much love for me. And uh, you know, I would be doing, you know, everybody a disservice if I didn't get back. And you know, that's just as important as anything is, you know, giving back to the community and help grow in that relationship. You know, I feel like the biggest myth, you know, once you get have more success and things like that, I feel like people always have an out, like, yeah, I'm busy. You know, and at the end of the day, I'm here like 99% of the time. So. Why wouldn't I be here? You know, I try to do everything I can as far as, you know, being a player. So I try to do the same thing off the field, you know, be the best version of myself, give back um, and show as much love as I possibly can and, and leave my mark and, you know, just continue uh, building relationships in every way I can. Dozens of Fanatics employees made the trip to Vegas and along with Raiders faculty volunteered to organize the event and get the kids to participate in drills and eat snacks before the end of the day when each kid got a few pieces of Raider gear to take home. Yeah, you know, I think they do a great job, you know, all professional leagues of getting involved and getting players involved in the community because at the end of the day, you know, every, like I said, you know, all these kids all have a dream and, you know, most people you know, are, are scared to go chase their dreams and, you know, don't know what's going to happen and take risk. And these kids have an opportunity to see what it's like to, you know, be around some athletes or be around whatever, uh, like you said, any profession. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, it could be just one kid that, that sees that and it makes it, you know, clicks in their brain and be like, listen, I'm, I'm going to chase my dream no matter what. And uh, that's how I feel like most people should live, man. You got you to gotta attack life in every way and, and take a risk and, and, you know, fight for what you want. So... Yeah, that's, that's, that's my take on it. Fanatics teamed up with seven NFL franchises total, donating over $20 million worth of merchandise to young children across the country and hosting an event that kids won't soon forget. For Silver and Black Today, I'm David Stepanian. David, thank you for the report there. At Mo, $20 million in merchandise. Now, I was going to say, I'm listening to the story I think the NFL needs to do more. I'm not saying that they don't do a lot with charity, but I think they need to do more with kids. But, man, how, how, how easy is it to like Max Crosby? I mean, the guy is just money when it comes to community work that he does and just being genuinely thankful for what has happened to him and how he's been blessed in his life. I like what he said about being successful. I caught that, and it stuck out to me. He said, as people become more successful, they're less available Oh, they claim to be less available because they have more things on their plate. But here's Max Crosby. He's he's one of the top defenders, one of the top overall defenders in the NFL. Mm -hmm. To me, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. If he were on a, on a better team in the past few years, if the Raiders were a playoff squad, he would get more buzz. And here he is at an event where he he says, look, I, you know, I, basically he's saying, I look, I've made the money. I have the numbers. I have the, the recognition or, and the respect across the league. And I'm still at these events. Because it's important that I give back because these fans support me. And and, and he wants to show that he's thankful for all of that. So yeah. kudos to him for just being a good person. And, of course, we know his background story. So he's grateful for all that and turning his life around in the process of becoming a, one of the prominent players in this league. So I think it all ties into one. And it shows, shows his character. And that's the type of player you want in the locker room. Yeah, and check out the pictures up on Raiders.com of those kids out there, man. I mean, you talk about smiles from this end to this end. I mean, it was huge. Uh, and it, it just made my, it made me feel really good. warm my heart to see those kids walk away with Raider gear that they might not be able to get, uh, especially tell, you know, tough, the times are tough right now financially for a lot of people. 
Uh, but for those kids, especially at-risk youth uh, and, and what they're dealing with, to be able to hang out with him and in the Raiders facility and then walk away with a jersey and footballs and hats and stuff like that, amazing stuff. So thanks to the folks out at Fanatics uh, for inviting us out there, and thanks to David Stepani and our correspondent for the report. All right, we're going to get into now a discussion around Mo's latest column, which we're, if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll see up on the screen, up on sportsnot.com, where he is the Raiders columnist. By the way, follow him on Twitter, at Mo Moton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. And, and Mo, you went through this column that ran on Tuesday talking about three veterans who faced the most pressure ahead of uh, 2023 training camp. And there's a big video there from the Sports Not folks about Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's not one of the guys you talk about, although you could certainly say that he he's in the same bucket. But let's talk through this column now and what you had to say here. And the first guy you start with, and by the way, all three of the guys you mentioned – we one of us picked as one of our pick to click guys. So you obviously have some optimism around some of them. But let's walk through this. And the linebacker position for the Raiders is still a black hole. They need someone somewhere to step in and make some plays and show that they're ready to take that next step up. You start with the Divine Diablo. Talk a little bit about Divine Diablo and and why you have him on this list of the three players. Right, so in our last episode of Silver Black today, Devon Diablo was my one of my picks to to click for the Raiders' defense simply because now this is second year in Patrick Graham's scheme. In the same token, while I think he's a pick to click, I also think he's under a lot of pressure because if he shows up to training camp in the first couple of weeks of training camp, he doesn't look as, as good as they expect him to look. Having the green dot or being the lead guy at the linebacker position, they're probably going to go out and sign another veteran and I suggested Calvin Noy is probably going to be that guy if they were to sign a veteran linebacker. Of course, I've been screaming week after week, trade for Patrick Green if he's available. Trade for Patrick <laughs> Green if he's available. But for now, the Raiders don't seem that that interested in 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 getting a an established starting linebacker. They 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 seem to feel like Devon Diablo could be that guy, and they seem to be confident in him because, as I said in the piece, they signed Robert Spillane. And he, he has a modest contract, and they waited to the sixth round to draft the linebacker. So what that tells you is the Von Diablo is that guy. I'm not saying they're handing him the starting position. I'm not saying they're handing him the green dot role. But he's the leader in that clubhouse right now, barring an, another move the Raiders make for a veteran player. So the Von Diablo is under a lot of pressure because if he doesn't perform up to par, then what do the Raiders have at linebacker? Mm. Who's going to be their starting guy? The Von Diablo is underwhelming through the summer. The Raiders are going to have to scramble either through the trade market, through the fragile market, or someone who's cut at the end of August, early September, they're going to have to pick him up and plug him into that defense because they're going to need a lot of help at that position. It's going to have to come from someone other than Divine Diablo, but he's under pressure to be that guy this year at the linebacker position. There you go. And yes, somebody please step up a linebacker or it could be re- <laughs> could be a really rough year. Uh, we're going through Mo's column here as well. And despite his lack of, of appreciation for avocados. Uh, the next player you talk about is offensive tackle Jermaine Illuminor, who was one of our pick to clicks on both for both of us as well. When you talk about him being on this list of veterans, kind of with kind of prove it type years, uh, and and might be prepared to do that. Why Jermaine Illuminor, and and what does he have to do to kind of solidify that position and really take the next step in his career? So on one side, Jermaine Luminar played well as a first-time, full-time starter 
right? He took advantage of his opportunity to start. Him and Thea Mumford um, were alternating snaps there or drives, I should say, at the beginning of the season. He eventually took over that starting role. He didn't allow a sack after week three. He only allowed one sack after week three. He only allowed, he allowed three sacks in total. The Raiders mm-hmm. re-signed him to a deal. It wasn't a lucrative deal, but they did re-sign him. But the reason he shows up in this piece as a player under a lot of pressure is because the Raiders were going to replace him. <laughs> if you read, <laughs> if you remember Peter King's piece, Peter King spent the night, the first night with the Raiders in their draft room. The Raiders had Paris Johnson Jr. of Ohio State as one of their top four draft prospects. But the Arizona Cardinals traded up over the Raiders. They swapped with the Detroit Lions, who had the sixth spot. And and they they selected Paris Johnson Jr. So if the Cardinals hadn't traded up, the Raiders might have drafted Jermaine Illuminar's replacement. Now, they didn't draft a tackle for the rest of the draft. They didn't sign a, a high-priced free agent. So Jermaine Illuminar essentially gets another chance to show why he's a star in this league. But if you look at it and say, well, if things have fell a different way, he may have been competing at the guard spot. So the Raiders don't seem completely sold on Jermaine Illuminar based on Peter King's report that they were going to draft. They were going to start their draft with a tackle. Um, So he has still more to prove, even though he had a pretty good year last year. And I think he, he even admits this on social media. He's very active on social media. Shout out to Jermaine Illuminar, the main show on, on Twitter. He says, this is only the beginning. This is only the start. And he actually, if you see the piece, he actually replied to me in one of my tweets. And he said, look, he understands the penalties happen, but it's not going to be a problem going forward. And that's one of the things that we're, I think we're looking on, um, looking at for him to improve in 2023 is, can he cut down on the penalties? Penalties Because he had 10 last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colton Miller and, and Dylan Parham only had five, and they were tied for second on the team. So that's one thing where – one area where Jermaine Illuminar can improve. He understands that, and I'm sure he's worked on that this offseason. He plans to not have that be a problem. And if that's not a problem and he's still solid in pass protection and his run blocking, I do think he gets a multi-year lucrative contract where the Raiders don't think about replacing him next offseason. Absolutely. That consistency he's spoken about so many times in interviews and uh, on his social media handles as well. So there you go, Jermaine Illuminar. Number three is another guy that I picked to click. You weren't so certain on him. Uh, so let's talk about him. That's safety Trayvon Mooring in his third year now, kind of a make or break. I agree with that. He's either going to return to form like he did in year one and get better at creating turnovers and being a ball hawk, or he could go the other way. Talk us through Trayvon Mooring, what we have to see and and what the kind of pressure on him is at the safety role. Merrick's in the same boat as Divine Diablo where they haven't had consistency with defensive play calling. So they had they were drafted to a team that had Gus Bradley as the defensive coordinator. Of course, Gruden's co- coaching staff out of the door after his email scandal and Joshua Daniels brings in his staff. So now they had to play under a new system under Patrick Graham last year. So that could be a part of why Merrick struggled last year. But also, and you talked about this in the last show, he talked about focusing on film study or studying more film. And I think that's part of going to be part of his growth, being a student of the game and understanding his role in Patrick Graham's system. Now he, I like the fact that he didn't point to defensive play calling and inconsistencies as part of the reason why he struggled last year. He put it on himself, self-accountability. Mm-hmm. He said, Look, I'm just, I got to study more. I got to get in the film room more basically. And I have to be a better player based on what I see on film and and correcting some of my mistakes. So he's in a he's in an interesting situation because right now, as of today, 
I don't think there's a player that's that's gonna leapfrog Trayvon Merrick on the depth chart. They had they signed Marcus S, but Marcus S has only started one full year with the Philadelphia Eagles. He was a special teamer for most of the time in Philadelphia. They did move off of Chris Smith the second in the draft, but this is a fifth round pick we're talking about. Fifth round picks aren't expected to start day one, though I do think Chris Smith could take over a starting role. That's not the expectation. Whereas Trayvon Merrick was drafted in the second round, the expectation for that player is to be a starting quality player by year three. So that goes into my point that Merrick is under the pressure where this is a critical year for him. Now he's in the same defensive mm-hmm. system as he was uh, last year. So for consecutive years, he has the same system, same scheme. He has to perform because if he doesn't, the Raiders can call Daron Harmon back. Daron Harmon is still a free agent. Josh Johnson, the third, who I suggested in the piece, is also still available. And he has the versatility to play that, that safe, that hybrid safety slot cornerback role as he's done with the Cleveland Browns and the Los Angeles Rams. So there are quality players available or veteran savvy players available that can play that Graham can plug and play into the system if Merrick has a disappointing showing through in camp. So he necessarily isn't going to lose his spot to Epps or Smith. He may if he underperforms, but he also has to compete with a couple of free agents, some veteran guys who have a lot more experience than he does. Yeah, and I think it's a good situation because this is where the rubber meets the road. you got to get out there and show what you got. Um, I think he bounces back, uh, So, and I'd like to see him bounce back. Works out better for the the Raiders, especially the contract he's under right now, and then you don't have as much work. But clearly, they have some doubts because they want to see a lot of competition there. And that may be, maybe they have less doubt than I'm thinking, and they just want to push him to be the best that he can be, so we'll have to see. Make sure you go up and read Mo's piece up on sportsnot.com. If you don't already, um, go read the site. You can see it up there as well. Uh, we have it on the screen if you're watching us on YouTube, but check out uh, Mo's Twitter handle where he links to all his stories as we do too. Uh, and uh, that is when we have access to our silver and black today Twitter handle, Mo. I hadn't <laughs> talked to you about this, but I got a new phone. So I go to log in the account and I have us, our producer, they also, they post stuff there for us as well. And uh, it, I changed the password. It prompted me to change the password, change the password. And then it says, well, this is a suspicious login. So you need to, we need to text you something. So I said, okay. So the text never comes. So then I reach out to Twitter and the three days, four days later, and I still don't have an answer. So anyway, uh, we will usually tweet out most stories from Silver and Black today. I tweet them out. He tweets them out. Look for this one up there. And if you know Elon Musk, tell him to fix our Twitter handle. We're not high enough on the totem pole where we can reach out directly <laughs> to Elon Musk. No, but we do pay the $8 a month. So we should get some kind of customer service. My God. Anyway. All right. That's going to close out segment number two. When we come back, it's time to talk to you. It's time for the Raider Nation mailbag. Uh, on this late week edition of Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Mo and I will be back right after these words, and we'll hear your words right here on Silver and Black Today. Welcome back. It is the home stretch here on Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast covering the Raiders. My co-host is Mr. Mo Moten. He's a national NFL columnist and writer, should say, writer at Bleacher Report, also known as Midtown Mo. Uh, you can also catch his Raider-specific content up on sportsnot.com where he writes a column there once a week. Follow him on Twitter at Momoton, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at LV Gully. The show is SNB Today, although we can't answer you from there until Elon Musk fix it for us, so we'll we'll get there eventually. <laughs> but Mo, I got to say this, you know, there's a heat wave, not not in the Northeast or in the Midwest where we're at. Um, the this, this smoke from Canada continues to cloud our skies, 
But out in California, they're having a major heat wave. But I want to read this. This is from the city of Las Vegas. You ready? The new Las Vegas record has been set. And it's not for heat, by the way. As of Tuesday, Las Vegas had not reached 100 degrees for 291 straight days. Breaks the all-time longest streak of consecutive days below 100, set in 1964 and 1965. And that's thanks to the folks over at the National Weather Service in Las Vegas, which is a great Twitter handle. If you go to Las Vegas at all, follow them. They're really great. It's cool stuff. And it's it's funny a lot of times too. But dude, it hasn't even hit a hundred. It is the end of June. And having living there, having lived there twice, Mo, usually you're gonna get a hundred, you know, late May, early June. So they're like a full month behind. And Fourth of July was always one of the hottest periods of the year. So crazy. Uh, maybe the Raiders can heat it up, or maybe because they haven't brought in their quarterback yet, or Josh Jacobs, and maybe maybe that's why it's so cool there. Things are a little icy. I, I say that's good news for me if I'm you know planning on a trip to <laughs> Vegas because I as if you know me, I I don't like the heat. Once it gets over eighty degrees, I'm yeah. like, look, I I need to hibernate or something, but. And who knows? Maybe I'll swing by Vegas now that it's a little, it seems to be a little cooler <laughs> over there. They have a little under 100 degree streak going. Maybe I'll sneak yes. over to Vegas and, and hang out a little bit. So if anybody's in Vegas, convince me to go over there and, and hang out in the, in the lesser hot sun. Yes. Although people on the far east side of Vegas, shout out to Sunrise Mountain and folks out there uh, up on Hollywood, all that stuff, they have had 100 degrees. So the temperature is taken at the airport, which is right in the middle of the valley, right near the Strip. Now, if you go out west to the Summerlin area, out there as well, or northwest Las Vegas, it's actually cooler because it's 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 higher elevation. So if you're on the east side, you're like, what are you talking about? It's been like 103 here for the last 10 days. Uh, so there is a little bit of that there. But you're right. You know, it's, it's hey, it's not it's not just, global warming anymore. I know they call it climate change, but the climate change in Vegas, it's getting cooler over the past several years. It's actually gotten warmer because of the construction. There's more concrete, just, you know, that concrete effect that happens. So, but yeah, Mo, you get out there and get a little avocado smoothie on the strip. People watch. I'll People hang watch. out at the airport a little bit, you know, hitchhiking at the airport. Oh, yeah, there up. you go. Me up. <laughs> we got we got listeners who pick you up. You wouldn't need to check. Okay, <laughs> it is our favorite time of the week when we get into uh, our mailbag segment here on the Raider Nation mailbag. Oh, that's most theme. Raider Nation is never shy. You ask, we answer. It's time for the Raider Nation mailbag. What's on your mind, fam? Drop us an email at mail at silverandblacktoday.com. That's mail at silverandblacktoday.com. Now, it's your time to speak up. All right, there. So you go. It's time for the Raider Nation mailbag. You heard mail at silverandblacktoday.com, mail at silverandblacktoday.com, or tweet at Mo or I or the show, and we can get your question there as well. Okay, so our good friend, serial emailer, and we love him for it, Gary Harkin Reader. But I'm thinking, Mo, we should start calling him Gary Harkin Writer. Ah, look at that. Is that too much of a dad joke? Look at I that. Look, look, no, no, that's actually pretty good. You like he that? He may one? not okay. like it because you, you name flipped him, but. <laughs> well, it's Gary, <laughs> Gary, air quotes, Harkin Writer, close air quotes, Harkin Reader. All right. So here's what he says, and his message is always a bit longer, but we like him. And and he actually shortened up a little bit. He's listening to me. So he says, hey, Scott, saw the show. Great as always. He's talking about our last show. My cracked crystal ball 
says the Raiders don't sign Marcus Peters until they trade Josh Jacobs. Trade Josh Jacobs. Whoa. Similar situation with HR. Uh, Raiders aren't trading Hunter Renfro. Raiders aren't trading Hunter. They need the defensive backs to work against him. Iron sharpening iron. Then after camp, depending on injuries, he could be traded. We've talked about that actually too. I can see that happening. Uh, the Raider regime is system oriented with players that Ziegler brings in. It's up to the coaching staff to get the most out of those players. Player signings will be a function of injury and who doesn't rise as the cream of the crop. This is what he says. My crystal ball says we need another proven edge rusher and uh, we need to sign a linebacker. Yes. And a USL, USFL cornerback quarterback is signed based on Ziegler and McDaniel's philosophy. It's system first and money second. And he quotes Al Davis, the fire that burns brightest is the will to win. And Ziegler's addendum to that is, and to play for what we're willing to pay. <laughs> so there's Gary Harkin Reader, Harkin Writer, writing to us again. So Mo, he's got a good okay. point there about the trades, right? So so Josh Jacob trade, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But the, the Hunter Renfro situation, we talked about the before June 1st, but you get through camp and we've meant, we've said that all along as a caveat, right? Which is, the market for Hunter Renfro might not be huge right now, but somebody goes down and practice on another team, somebody needs a player, then suddenly the market heats up and the Raiders can deal him at a different time, including during camp or after camp. I don't want to bury the lead here. Gary Harkin-Reader dropped a, uh, uh, <laughs> an idea bomb on us. Trade yes. Josh Jacobs before, before they sign Marcus Pierce would be very interesting. I will say that I think fans would be both excited and and discuss it at the same time if those yeah. two events happen True. within a week of each other they'll be happy to have marcus peters but they're like why is it why does it cost us josh jacobs and i think that i i think that actually marcus peters will be there if the rays are going to sign him he'll be there before camp because they want him to get him in there get his feet wet in the system whatever yeah. uh as the summer rolls on but i think that the interesting part about gary harkin reader's prediction is that that this July 17th um, deadline is going to obviously come two weeks before, about two weeks before camp. So we're going to know before camp, you know, if the rare situation with Josh Jacobs is going to reach Rocky Wars, because if he doesn't have a contract, a new contract by, by then, it's a possibility that Josh Jacobs may not be at camp or he may be there and just not participating. Mm. And then I think they still make a move for Marcus Peters. But I think it's going to take some time if they're going to trade Josh Jacobs. I do think it's going to take some time to them for them to find a trade partner because teams understand that Josh Jacobs want a new deal, so they're going to be hesitant to you know, maybe to acquire him because of the money situation. Right. right. So we have to look at the landscape. What teams were interested in Dalvin Cook may also be interested in Josh Jacobs based yeah. on fit and money. So we'll see what happens there. But I think it takes some time, and 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 once that deadline passes. It passes. They're, they're not going to come to a deal with him. Josh Jacobs either plays on a franchise tag, or he or he holds out or holds in, whatever the case may be. So, I I, I think the Marcus Pierce thing happens within an, another maybe two weeks because we all know veterans like to skip the spring workouts and they like to skip the first oh, part yeah. of the off season because they're experienced guys. They're like, oh, we don't need non-padded practices. <laughs> they come around the Jadavion Clownies of the world, the Marcus Peterses of the world. They're going to wait till late July to sign. I think that's. That's Marcus Peters' timeline, regardless of what happens with Josh Jacobs. And Gary's point about trading Josh Jacobs, and you just mentioned it too, is is that's a situation where if they're going to trade him, there has to be 
um, permission allowed and conversations that happen between the player, his agent, and the new team to sign that long-term deal because he's not going to yep. he's not going to want to be traded unless he's getting a new deal somewhere because that's what he wants in Las Vegas too. And hopefully right. that's what happens for everybody's sake. But if it doesn't happen, then you got to find that partner. That partner's then got to negotiate. So then there's still negotiation, which is why I think mm-hmm. it doesn't happen before camp. If if they don't sign him to the deal by the 17th, then they're going to have to start that process if that's what they do. And that could take longer. So we'll see what happens. But to your point about veterans not having to be in camp, same with Josh Jacobs, especially a running back. Um, he's not going to take a lot of hits anyway, so you don't want to do that. So good stuff. It's- so just to be clear, it would be a sign and trade situation where yep. Josh Jacobs signs his franchise tag. A new team acquires him with the understanding that next year they they plan on signing him to a new deal. Because, again, with that deadline passing, he would have to play out and he would have to understand that, OK, this new team is going to invest in me eventually. Right. And that's why I'm going there. So there, there has to be some conversations three ways between Jacobs, the Raiders and that new team, as you just said. Right. And, and, and there's some risk in that too, right? Because they sign, they, they, they agree in principle to a deal, but they can't sign a new contract because he, he will be under a current contract uh, to your point about the deadline. Right, of the 17th. So that's really interesting. That's why it behooves everybody to get a deal done before the 17th. All right, Gary, as always, my friend, thank you so much for your question and for the thought provoking discussion that you just started with Mo and I about mm-hmm. uh, a Josh Jacobs trade. Okay. We move on to email number two. This comes from Anastasia in Las Vegas. Uh, and it has to do with dating Mo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she's like, can you give me Mo's phone number? No, Stop. just kidding. Um, all right, here's what she says. And I'm going to try to read it like I think she would be saying it. I'm not going oh to do, a, do oh a falsetto. I'm not going to do a falsetto. Enough of Derek Carr already. Okay, that was the part. Uh, Why does he have to keep talking about the Raiders? He's gone. Move on. Now he's starting to annoy me. Again, that's Anastasia in Las Vegas. Thank you for listening to the show. (laughs) We don't don't care. Very short and sweet. (laughs) It was short. She was just mad. She must have been listening to the the show and then heard the email address and said, I'm going to talk to these guys. Uh, But but (laughs) I think we talked about it in the first segment a little bit, which was he did not initiate the discussion around it. It wasn't like he was going out and saying, all right, now I want to dish on the Raiders. He was at a charity event in Fresno talking and somebody asked him a question about it. So he answered it. So now you could still argue enough already. Why are you talking about it? You could have answered it differently. I'm not going to make that argument for him or for you, but I want to make that clear, Anastasia. And I know that everybody's tired of talking about him, but until two things happen, one of two things, I should say, Mo. Unless until Derek Carr uh, completely fails and proves all the people who hate him right, this will continue. And then if he does really well in New Orleans and, for example, wins a Super Bowl, then uh, it'll end it for some. But for the others, it will not. So I don't think it ever ends. It never ends. No, (laughs) Scott, Anastasia, if you're listening out there, believe me when I say this. This is not going to end until Derek Carr retires. Correct. Because his his career now in New Orleans is going to be compared to his career at the Raiders. So when Derek Carr, regardless of what he does with the Saints, when you watch games, they're going to put Derek Carr's first year with the Saints side by side with his first year (laughs) with the Raiders. They're going to put his first three years with the Saints side by side with his first three years with the Raiders. Now, I say that's unfair comparison because Derek Carr is much younger as a Raider. Yes. Than he is now. He's an experienced veteran, so I don't think the stats are even comparable. 
But everything that he does in New Orleans is going to be compared to what he did in Oakland and Las Vegas. And there's no way to escape that. And reporters are always going to ask him about the Raiders. And I think for the first year outside of being in in Las Vegas, reporters are always going to ask him, well, how how does that compare to your time with the Raiders? Or how does that Mm -hmm. compare to your time with Las Vegas? Because he was with the Raiders for so long. Reporters are going to glean on to the obvious questions. Sure. How does this compare to your last stop? Or how, you know, what about when you were? And those are valid, Mo. Those are valid questions for a guy they, they who are, spent his whole career somewhere. They, they are valid questions from a reporter's perspective, but I understand it from a fan's perspective and Anastasia's perspective. Saying, I, "I'm just done with it. I want to move on." I think this is also Merce's perspective over at Raider Fan Radio that mm-hmm. he's no longer a Raider, so I no longer care about what Derek Carr does. <laughs> and I do understand that 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 perspective from fans. They they're just sure. ready to move on. But just understand, if you follow the NFL in any capacity, the comparisons are going to be made because they're going to Correct. say, well, if Derek Carr succeeds, they're going to say, well, the Raiders were the team organization that was holding him back. If yeah. he fails or comes up short, underwhelms with the New Orleans Saints, they're going to say, well, this wasn't totally a Raiders issue. This is just who Derek Carr is. He's a mediocre B, C minus quarterback. And not only that, but every Raider quarterback that plays this year, because there will be multiple, um, they they <laughs> the graphic will pop on the screen. Yep. Here's Derek the Raiders through four games last year with Derek Carr. Here's the Raiders yep. this four week through Jimmy Garoppolo, Chase Garbers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, <laughs> Aiden O'Connell, Chase or Garbers. Brian Hoyer. Right. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Don't garbage. get us started on the garbage conversation. Um, oh but but you're right. There, the both sides are going to be, especially in year one. It will be so. If you're sick of hearing about Derek Carr, then either you got to completely check out and not watch any Raiders football, or you just have to deal with it because that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a good for the point. first, for at least the first year, you ha- first you're year. have to deal with it. the second Correct. year. It'll die down, but this first year without him, it's going to be comparisons nonstop. Correct. And to your point, until he retires, there will be always the connection because he played nine years. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Anastasia, uh, for offering a, a female anger point of view to the Las Vegas Raiders discussion here on the podcast. But we appreciate you listening. All right. Our last email comes to us from Dennis out in Wal- Walnut Creek. He's written into the show, I think, uh, maybe last month. OK, Mo, the first part of Dennis's question, or I should say it was a statement where he called Josh Jacobs stupid. I'm just kidding. But he said it would be stupid for him to hold out. And he said $10 million, which means Josh Jacobs would hold out and not play the entire year. Um, you look at this, and we've talked about it ad nauseum today, but you, you look at this and the situation with Josh Jacobs trying to get what he feels is due, understand that he's got to represent himself, his agent has to do that. Um, is this going to be the best tactic? And my answer to that question, before you give yours, is if it works, it's a freaking brilliant move. If it doesn't work and he loses $10 million, it's a dumbass move. Uh, it's amazing how the fine line between those two can be there. Einstein's always twenty twenty, right? Yes, yes. No, but to, to just to give a prediction on this, I, I actually don't think Josh Jacobs sits out the entire season. I think that... Remember, I gave out two scenarios and I believe the first or second segment. I think it was the first segment that... Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley signed for 10 and $14 million, respectively. And then Josh Jacobs comes to an agreement with the Raiders for about, you know, 13, 14 million. But if those two, if Saquon Barkley doesn't come to an agreement with the Giants and he has to play on a franchise tag and Dalvin Cook gets less than 10 million, then I think Josh Jacobs comes back and says, look, the market for the running backs, well, his agent probably says, look, Jacobs, the market for the running back is not improving right now. So 
you're going to have to basically bet on yourself and hope that in 2024 you, you're in a better situation to make more money because if Saquon Barkley is in a holding pattern with the Giants and Dalvin Cook has an underwhelming deal, even though reports say that he has a significant contract on the table, contract offer, that is, it, if those two are underwhelming on the market, then Josh Jacobs is not going to all of a sudden make 14, 15 minutes. It's just not going to happen that way. But right. as you said, as you highlighted, the Raiders are going to follow the, the trend of the market. If other teams aren't paying top-tier quarter running backs, then the Raiders aren't going to do it. And I think Josh Jacobs' agent, assuming he's a smart guy or, or, or woman, whoever is advising him, understands that. And I think he's going to have to wind up betting on himself at the very least. So he's going to have the one-year $10.1 million contract fully guaranteed, and then he'll look to hit the market in 2024. So I I think mm. that's in play. I, I, don't, I don't think it comes to a point where – he takes the Le'Veon Bell route because it is a copycat league. And we did see what happened with Le'Veon Bell. He never really recovered after that never holdout did. year. And I'm not saying that that's going to be the same situation for Josh Jacobs, different player, different person. But when you see a player take a, a certain route that's not taken by anyone else, you're not eager to take the same route if it didn't work out for that player. Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I know it seems dire to fans because of the the Pelisario part we talked about earlier because of Josh Jacobs' tweets and it's all negative, negative, negative. But I really am, am I feel pretty confident, Mo, that they'll work something out before the seventeenth. Um, and and even if they don't, I see Josh Jacobs uh, in camp, uh, even if he holds in a little bit um, to that point, uh, trying to do something. Uh, I, I think you just don't want to do that. You want to get in there and show that you're going to play and that you're going to make your money. Uh, and But again, so much of it is out of his hands. It depends on the market. It depends on Cook. It depends on Barkley. So we'll have to see. Really quick, Scott. I'll, mm -hmm. These are my top – I will rank the top three playoff scenarios that I think will play out the Josh Shakers race situation. One, Most. he gets the franchise. He plays out the end of the franchise tag. Two, he gets a multi-year deal, and that would be after Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley get their deals. Mm -hmm. Three, I think he's traded. Mm -hmm. So that's that's how it ranked the outcome of how this is going to pan out. Yeah, I think that's plays fair. out the franchise, plays out the end of franchise tag, gets a new deal, and then gets traded. Way down at five or six is him holding out for the whole year when he doesn't <laughs> play. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, uh, and I, I I would imagine his agent would not advise that either. Players sometimes will go against what their agents advise them to do because they get to make the decision. Mm -hmm. They're the boss. But mm -hmm. I don't see that. I think Josh Jacobs is a smart, smart kid. Uh, he's a great emerging leader, uh, and I just don't see him doing that. I see them hopefully working something out, so we'll have to see. But Dennis, thanks for the note. We appreciate it. Bunch of Josh mm -hmm. Jacobs stuff. See people, it's you see the undercurrent there. They're, they're concerned with what's going on, uh, and I don't blame them for that, Mo, but I think that um, everything's going to work out pretty well, I think. We'll see. We'll see how it rolls down. Mo, what do you got coming up? I know here we are sitting on a Thursday. You got anything coming this weekend, or what can people look forward to early next week as far as what you're doing up at Bleacher Report or Sports Not? I'll be posting some pictures of me on vacation on, on the beach <laughs> playing volleyball <laughs> with a bunch of people. That's that's where I, that's what I'm going to be doing for the next week or so. Nice. I, in all honesty, I have one more vacation. I know people like Mo's on vacation a lot. Now. No. Like, okay. I have one more vacation coming up before the grind. You know, it picks up for me around the 24th of July. So I have one last vacation from late June into the 4th of July where I get to kind of kick back and, and, and just kind of relax, reload, recharge the batteries and get back at it. 
But then I'm gonna I, I'm gonna leave this Raider conversation as a TBD. I, I'm still thinking about what I'm gonna put up at Sportsnet. They will mm. be a column up on Sportsnet, a Raiders column up on Sport Sportsnet next week. I'm just not sure where I'm headed yet. I want to clear my head on my vacation, come back with a clear mind, and I'll think of something creative. I don't like to do the. I know a lot of fans like the position breakdown and every, and we're gonna do that too. But everyone does that. And when I write my mm -hmm. columns, I like to give fans something something fresh, something different, something creative that they can hang on to. Can I make a recommendation? Go ahead. Three reasons why Chase Garbers will be the starter in Las oh, Vegas. Oh, my gosh. Can we, can we get, like, two, just two, one minute on this. For the, for the Chase Garbers people out there, oh. I, I said this on Twitter on Tuesday night, if Chase mm -hmm. Garbers starts one NFL game, yeah. not in the USFL, not in arena football, not in any other league. If he starts one NFL game in 2023, I will eat cheesecake on air on this Whoa. show. And you know, I'll, I'll stick to my word because when I lost to Scott Fantasy Football, I ate mint chip ice cream on this show already. This, so this you did. I'm willing to I'm willing to live up to my bets and my words. If Chase Garber starts one NFL game, <laughs> I will eat some cheesecake on air. That's how confident I am. Because if you know me, you know I hate cheesecake. So this is how confident I am that Chase Garbage is not well, going to start a game. You hate he cheesecake, but you, you've been on this this rampage against Mint again. It's an it's just unmitigated, unmitigated social media rampage by Mo. Someone, someone Mad Mo. Me. Someone triggered me with the mid-shift stuff, but Chase Garbage <laughs> is QB4 right now. The Raiders signed Jimmy Garoppolo, and I get Jimmy Garoppolo's hurt a lot. He's so QB4 and a half. Exactly. Now, if Devontae Adams I, could play quarterback better. <laughs> now I know <laughs> I know Vinny Bonsignor said that, you know, Chase Garbage isn't just a camp arm. He's been developing under Josh McDaniels, and I get it. He he's you know, Vinny's a great reporter and, and we mm -hmm. get it. Chase Garbage has been around. But even if Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt and they have to let go of Jimmy Garoppolo, they have Brian Hoy there who knows the system. And they drafted, they went up. They moved up in the forefront for Aiden O'Connell for a reason. So those two guys will be in the pecking order above Chase Garbers, who went undrafted a couple of years ago, I believe. So yeah. Chase Garbers, for the Chase Garbers fan club out there, I'm sorry you're offended by this comment. He's not going to start a football <laughs> game this year. Well, and I'm so confident he's not going to start a football game this year that I'm willing to cheesecake. eat a, a disgusting piece of cheesecake if he does. <laughs> Ch I'm, listen, he might be a really nice young man, and I have nothing against him personally, but no. Chase, Chase Garbage. From a play oh perspective, God. not garbers, garbage. Boy, man, people, it's, it, you know, foot, you know, people are like, it's like, it's like an addict. You, 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 you're, and I don't mean to make light of addiction at all, but I'm saying you're so addicted to football and Raiders football that you're starting to get delusional talking about Chase Garbers. That's what, that's what some folks are doing. I know I've been there with other, other teams that I follow and stuff, baseball, things like that. You're, oh, what if we did this? Yeah, just let it go. Just with Chase you know Gar what, you, Carbers, just let it go. You know what I noticed, though? And this is not just with Raider fans. This is across the board because I've covered the Giants in, in a previous mm -hmm. life. I've covered the Pittsburgh Steelers. And fans across the board do this. Yes. They have a tendency to take a player who's on the fringe and pump up that player. I don't yeah. know. I, I think it's the underdog type of, it is, type totally. of thing where yeah, absolutely. fans see themselves. A lot of people see themselves as an underdog so they right. want to see the underdogs to see so they'll pick the guy who's a fringe player fringe roster guy and say that guy's gonna make noise and then yeah. if that guy does turn into something that fan can say see i saw it before everyone else you know and, <laughs> yeah. and i think that's part of that's why right. 
people pump up these players who are who are just on in obscure spots on the depth chart. Chase Garbers being one of them. I, I just don't think, and the same thing goes for Isaiah Polamau. If you look at Twitter, a lot of Raiders fans like Isaiah Polamau, and I think we had a question about him recently. They are uh, email access. Do I yeah. think it, it might have been um, Garoppolo's hair? Might have been him asking about Polamau. Polamau. I may be mistaken, but one of our emailers said, "Do you think Polamau is going to make some noise this year?" Um, because they thought that he was going to play a big role in defense. And I said, he's going to have to have a big offseason to make that jump because I just don't see it from him. But to my greater point that fans are like to attach themselves to these underdogs and, and hope that they succeed. And I, and I get that part of it, but not to crush anyone. Garbers isn't going to be that guy. It's just not going to happen for him. Yeah, we as Americans, especially we love the underdog. We love, especially in sports, we love the player who has some sort of potential. Because yep. potential means you haven't failed yet, particularly, right? <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, look, I remember as a kid rooting for backup quarterbacks. And like, oh, he, if he could just play, if he could just play. And then he eventually plays and you're like, oh, he's not very good. And, and fans will turn on you like that because they'll mm-hmm. root for you. They'll say, get you, give him a chance, give him a chance. And then he goes out and lays an egg. And it's like, this guy sucks. Get him out of there. So we, you we are Matt fickle. McGloin? Oh, Mac McGloin. Oh, boy. Yes, and there's a, the, a slew of guys that have come through the Raiders organization the last couple of years. Um, go back to Chris Warren, the, the third. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. second, yep. sorry. Third, uh, he, great example. Hell, the, why isn't this guy, we, we have our running back, we have our running back. Yeah, didn't mm-hmm. work out very well. So that happens, and, and the defensive backfield has happened a bunch too. So, But anyway, we talk about it here. All right, Mo, enjoy some of your beach time and your, your, your mint chip gelato time. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> get some coffee gelato we'll call it even uh and and have some fun with that but we will be back on tuesday all right so enjoy your time my friend i appreciate you yep so for the people out there don't expect any pictures of any mint chip or cheesecake, <laughs> cheesecake. photos uh it'll it'll be some good food Good snacks, good desserts, actually. Some edible stuff, go. not the stuff that, that, that you guys consume that, that ruins your inside. So <laughs> that, me this, that blocks it all up. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. All right, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right. For Mike Robbie, our producer, for Mo Moten, I am Scott Branson. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your audio. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Make sure you hit subscription and the notifications bell. Until Tuesday, enjoy your weekend, Raider Nation. We will talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.